Thank you for hanging on. It's Mile High Magazine. Again, I am Murphy Houston. We're here every Sunday with Mile High Magazine, and we appreciate you being part of it. As you know or may not know, February is American Heart Month, and the American Heart Association is encouraging everyone to take the challenge of having one person in every family or household to know how to perform CPR. Be the beat by learning the two simple steps it takes to save a life. And we're very excited to have Dr. Vijay Sabaro, a cardiologist with Denver Heart, to talk more about CPR. Dr. Sabaro, thanks for coming on Mile High Magazine today. Thank you for having me, Murphy. Well, CPR is kind of the headline these days since the the near total tragedy of Buffalo Bills football star Damar Hamlin well, I was just uh, explaining to the doctor before we started talking here that he's just announced a new challenge to get people to learn CPR, and he's challenging big names like LeBron James, Tom Brady, Michelle Obama, and more to take the challenge. And that's kind of what we're here about now. Uh, Dr. Sabaro is about the challenge of CPR, and maybe you can explain just what it is, what's CPR, so people can listen a little. Yeah, CPR is um, the full form is cardiopulmonary resuscitation, and it's a it's really an emergency life saving procedure we perform when the heart stops beating, and when someone experiences a cardiac arrest, that is kind of stoppage of their heartbeat. And, and I need to ask a question that people have asked me, like I know anything. There is a difference between heart attack and cardiac heart arrest, is there not? There is. People think and get confused that they're both the same, but um, what happens with a cardiac arrest is the heart stops beating, and it's a predominantly an electrical phenomenon. With a heart attack, there is lack of blood flow to the heart, and so people experience chest pain, and the heart gets damaged. Now, the heart attack occurrence can lead to cardiac arrest because the heart can get electrically unstable, and, and go into a, an abnormal rhythm. So, uh, but they're not the same. Should you perform CPR in both if something happens like that? I think CPR should be performed on anybody you find who is not breathing and is down and does not have a heartbeat, regardless of the cause. That's good to know because I'm sure people don't know that difference, but that's a good sign. If somebody's not breathing, you better get in there and help is what you're saying. Exactly. So why is this so important, and why is it so important to get to it immediately when you see something going on? So you, once the heart stops, there's a lack of blood flow, obviously, to the whole body, but more importantly, to the brain. And we need to restore as much blood supply as quickly as possible. And that's really why you should start CPR immediately. And what you're essentially doing is compressing the heart at a certain rate with your hands and restoring blood flow while you wait for the emergency services to arrive. And there's a certain way to do that. I mean, you just can't sit down and just, well, I just I guess I'll push on his chest a little bit and we'll see what happens. No, no, that's not the way it is. But first of yes, all... Yes, I mean, and, and that's, uh, you know, what we recommend currently are is hands-only CPR for a bystander, for, for, a, for a person who's without medical knowledge and obviously this challenge that you mentioned at the top of the show um, in terms of getting trained will teach you how to use your hands and where to place them on the chest and how, what is the depth of compressions you need 
really restore blood flow at, at what rate, more importantly. Uh, and they recommend a rate of about 100 to 120 beats a minute. So you really have to go very fast. And by hands only, we mean you don't need to do mouth-to-mouth breathing, which is something people think about when they think about CPR. And that seems to be maybe a deterrent for people to go help somebody because they're worried, you know, especially in this COVID time, should we go and give mouth-to-mouth and do CPR on the chest? Currently, hands-only CPR is... is um, is critical and as important to immediately kind of restore blood flow as much as possible when the heart is at standstill. So you don't do mouth-to-mouth anymore at all, or is there certain circumstances where you need to do both, the chest pushing and also mouth-to-mouth? Currently, no mouth-to-mouth. You can do both at a certain, you know, kind of cadence, but to make it simple... So if you don't have any blood flow going anywhere, breathing oxygen into the patient is not going to circulate. So uh, the American Heart Association recommends circulation is most important. We can always deal with oxygenation in, uh, in, a, few, in a few minutes, if you will, when, the, when EMS arrives. Well, kind of maybe we should let people know what would be the symptoms and signs that someone is experiencing a, a sudden cardiac arrest besides maybe lack of breathing. Is there other things we need to look for? So initially, sudden loss of responsiveness uh, with no response when you tap the shoulders. So you essentially come upon a person or they're at home or in a mall or um, movie theater or in a line and they fall to the ground and are not responding. You tap them on the shoulder they're obviously not breathing normally. Um, and if they don't take the normal breath when you kind of tilt their head up, because sometimes you're choking or you've got something stuck in your throat. So you tilt the head up, and if they still are not breathing, if you know where to feel a pulse in the carotid and you don't feel any carotid pulse in the neck, start CPR uh, in five seconds. Well, that's pretty quick. You better make a pretty fast decision. Exactly, and that's where the training comes in because everybody should know, you know, when is the right time to do EPR. And um, if you can get some knowledge as to recognize a patient in cardiac arrest, then you you need to get to them very quickly. And if it happens at home or anywhere, isn't calling 911 pretty important? But you can't do both. I mean, you should probably, if there's people around, get get help with the people just standing there watching you do something. Ideally, the if you do, are you doing what we call bystander CPR and you are lucky enough to have somebody else, you first assess the patient, tell the, the, the accompanying individual or whoever is waiting or other witnesses to call 911 and you start CPR. That's the ideal situation. If you're by yourself, then I think, Dialing 911, if you have access to a phone, and then, you know, doing CPR while you're talking to them is also very important because the 911 operators are very well trained to kind of walk you through the steps. And so if you are, you know, kind of hesitant of what to do, that also helps you while you're performing the CPR. You know, they'll give you guidance. So I think, I think that if you're lucky enough to have a phone next to you and you can dial 911, you'll at least get somebody's attention while you perform right. CPR. Right, exactly. 
And I heard, and I want you to verify this, by the way, it's Dr. V.J. Sabaro, cardiologist with Denver Heart. If you're not wondering how fast the rate is, 100 to 120 beats per minute, there are songs that you can actually play that'll help you keep up the beats. Yes, yes. And, I, and I, you know, interestingly, some of the songs are like Staying Alive by Bee Gees, um, Beyonce's um, Crazy in Love, Shakira's Hip Don't Lie, or Walk the Line. These can, <laughs> what they call, like, you know, by Johnny Cash. Yeah, these sure. can be the beat yeah, to save a life. So, so I think if you can kind of have those songs in your head and just go away at the chest with the song playing, I think you'll, you'll accomplish that rate. And I think it would be kind of important, too, to maybe have, if there are bystanders, somebody else that might know about CPR, because for for you to keep up that kind of a pace per minute, you might get a little tired yourself. You might need somebody else to jump in there. Absolutely. I think that's where that's where the education comes in, and the more awareness we get, there's less hesitancy for, you know, people who don't have a medical background, you know, to help. And so, um, absolutely, you want to maybe do a minute or two of this and then take a break and let the other person, um, you know, kind of do while you guide 911 or look around for an AED, you know, so that if you do, if you are in a public space, a lot of places have what they call automatic external defibrillators. That may be something to also, uh, you know, uh, know where they are. If you go into, uh, say, an airport, you know, uh, a plane or a concert hall, and and uh, and get them over because these devices can um, convert a, a bad heart rhythm into a good heart rhythm, restoring circulation. Well, and let's explain more about that. What exactly, for those that don't know, is an AED, Doc? So AED is automated, automated actually external defibrillation. So. Um, and that means that you're putting on pads externally on the chest, and the uh, the device is actually automatically recognizing a bad rhythm called ventricular fibrillation, which is a um, abnormal rhythm from the bottom chamber of the heart that occasionally occurs. Actually, not occasionally, but is usually a, you know part of cardiac arrest. And once the AED recognizes that it can automatically shock the heart, and uh, that's what an AED is. And you really don't have to have a medical background to use an AED, because it kind of does. I heard it kind of talks to you. That's the beauty of it. It's it's portable. It's lightweight. You don't have to lug a big thing over to the patient. Once you put the pads on, it tells you what what it's going to do. It'll say there is a shockable rhythm. Clear. Don't touch the patient. I'm delivering a shock, and it just shocks the patient. And then it, after that tells you if it's restored or not, so if the, if the heart rhythm is restored or not. So, so yes, it is uh, fairly informative for somebody who's not used to that situation. Well, thank God, because there'd be so much activity going on, and if you don't have that kind of experience making it as easy as possible, it's got to be crucial. It's absolutely crucial, and that's why it's really intended for use by public. Um, and the audible voice, you know, prompts and the the user through the process. And the, one more thing to kind of know, even though AEDs are restoring circulation, CPR needs to continue. So if the AED works and says patient is in normal rhythm, 
that doesn't mean you stop CPR. Oh. You continue CPR because the body is kind of stunned. The heart may be electrically beating, but may not still have the strength to squeeze, depending on what made it stop in the first place. Right. So we continue CPR again till EMS arrives and you have more experienced personnel wow. um, next to you. Well, I would think at most places, especially schools, I would imagine most buildings, they probably have AEDs there ready to be used. And how important it is to really figure out where that is, depending on where you work. Absolutely. I think that, you know, like you have a, um, a security personnel at the school, they should be a champion every day that's no, identified who knows where the AEDs are, wh- whatever public space you're in. I'm thinking about soccer fields, you know, sure, uh, baseball fields. Um, it's not not for the kids, but you know, uh, but but for coaches and people and parents on the sidelines, grandparents watching. So it's good for people when they walk into a space uh, to identify, like you identify exits now. Unfortunately, right. um, you know, identify where you have a, a medical um, device that can that can obviously, if you know where it is, you know save right. life because you're, 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 you're applying it within minutes. Well, Doc, before we let you go, I mean, what advice could you give members of the community that might be nervous about performing CPR on someone, even if they know how to do it? Yeah, I think, you know, there's obviously a fear that you're going to hurt somebody. Uh, you don't know how to, what, where on the chest to do it. You're, you're, you know, you're a nervous, uh, lack of training, knowledge. Maybe the legal stuff is going through their head. COVID-19, they don't want to get infected. So there's, there's all these things that are um, in, in patients' minds This are barriers. I mean, sorry, uh, people's minds are barriers to, you know, to give CPR. So first is to get the training. Yes. And, and, and more importantly, to, and in that training, recognize when a patient's down. Even if you recognize that that's happened and call 911, and, and you know, and you have the ability to deliver chest compressions, you're increasing the survival of that patient, you know, by uh, two or threefold. Oh, that's so, great. Uh, I think it's, it's very critical that, um, that every uh, family has at least a member who's trained in CPR. Well, sound advice. Way to end it today for us. Dr. Vijay Sabaro, cardiologist with Denver Heart. Thank you for the time. And get people to get out there and learn that CPR because you don't know who you might be saving down the road. Doc, thanks uh, for coming on Mile High Magazine. It's my pleasure. Just CPR.heart.org. That'll get you training centers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Repeat that again. Good information. Repeat that again, please. It's CPR.heart.org. Dr. Sabaro, thank you for your time. Keep up the good work over there at Denver Heart. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening, too. It's Mile High Magazine, and I'll be back next weekend.